You're about to listen to an episode of Legally Fonds. This episode is brought to you in association with LawSchool.ie. LawSchool.ie is Ireland's leading provider of tuition for the FE1 or King's Inns entrance exams. Each course is delivered live online with a specific exam focus and supported by the latest manuals. Shorter, pre-recorded workshops are also available and courses commence every year in June and November. Register anytime at lawschool.ie and for a 10% discount on any course, just use the discount code LEGALLYFOND. The year is 2012 and the sun is beaming down on Dublin on a Sunday afternoon. Local Yob, Alex, is casually strolling down the city's main thoroughfare. In his possession is a bag of the substance methylethacathylene, better known as bath salts, or on the street, meow meow. But all is not well. Suddenly, Alex is approached by a member of Ireland's sophisticated law enforcement. Uh, this is Sergeant Des Carlehy uh, checking in the Pierce Station from Grafton Street. And I, I seem to have a, a suspicious character approaching me. And uh, I, I suspect, due to the, the, the bulge in the silver tracksuit, on the left and right hand side that he may uh, be in possession of some meow meow. Uh, fresh out of Templemore, of course, uh, after doing the thesis on the Misuse of Drugs Act 1977, I'm well versed in, in how to approach and deal with such nefarious characters. Sunshine, I, I, I suspect you may have some of the meow meow on you. C- can you confirm if that's the case? It's alright, I get profiled because i got a matching North Face tracksuit on. And I get dragged down to Pier Street Garda Station. Obviously I say nothing being the smart and savvy criminal that I am. But sure, look, he pulls it out of me and finds this white magic. White magic, huh? Just as I suspected. Well, look, I look, you you, you, you can stay here for a while now and uh, the Salster will be on his way. But I'm telling you now, bucko, you're going to be in the slammer for a while. Right, so what do I do next? So I ring my solicitor and get him down to Pierce Street Guard Station. From my perspective, how do we get out of it? Welcome to Legally Fond Episode 2, Constitution on Crack. episode of Legally Fond, we're covering the case of Bedarev versus Ireland. As a result of this case, Ireland legalised ecstasy, ketamine, magic mushrooms and other drugs for 24 hours. This happened back in 2015 and you might remember the media and particularly the world's media went crazy at the time, saying Irish court legalises ecstasy and a hundred other drugs. Ireland just accidentally legalised drugs. And according to BuzzFeed, someone in Ireland made a mistake and ecstasy is now legal. But why were those drugs legalised? Were they actually legalised accidentally? Who made the decision? Why for 24 hours? And who held the party? Now before we get into this case, we've got to explain some of the law behind this. Ireland has a constitution, Bunrocht Naharan, which was voted in in 1937. If you haven't taken time to read Bunrocht Naharan, there's a lot in there. From foreign affairs and international relations, to how legislation can be passed by the Oireachtas, how the courts work, and the fundamental rights that all of us as citizens of Ireland are entitled to. So it's important to understand that there is a capacity in Irish law for people to challenge uh, things, legislation, laws that they may believe to be unconstitutional. 
And uh, this is done by uh, submitting a, a case to the court, in, courts in which you believe uh, something has violated the terms of the Constitution. And it, then it is a matter for the courts to determine whether that is the case. And that involves looking at the provisions of the Constitution, analyzing them, interpreting them, seeing what the drafters of the Constitution intended, and indeed basing them on modern standards and uh, in relation to modern society. And then they rule whether it is unconstitutional or indeed there is uh, no issue with, with its uh, compliance with constitutional provisions. Now, the reasoning behind that is that the Constitution is the most important law in Ireland. Every law passed must be in accordance with the Constitution. So, for instance, there's a provision of the Constitution which says that the death penalty is banned in Ireland. Therefore, the Oireachtas cannot pass a law which allows for the death penalty to be a punishment for certain types of crime. That's just an example. So in this case, the plaintiff, Mr. Bedarev, is challenging the constitutionality of a section of the Misuse of Drugs Act 1977. So let's say a judge decides that a law or a part of a law is unconstitutional. What happens then, Alex? Once you strike a law such as this down, it can no longer have an effect. So Mr. Bedarev, who was charged under this, he could not be arrested and he couldn't be put in prison for trying to sell these drugs. So the effect of this was every drug on that list was technically legal for 24 hours. So ketamine, magic mushrooms, ecstasy. You know, I think a few people threw them up on eBay to try and do a bit of marketing for themselves or for their own drugs business. But all of them were completely legal for these 24 hours. Because the law didn't exist. The law didn't exist anymore. So far, we've introduced you to two concepts. The Constitution itself and that process called constitutional judicial review, where a judge looks at a piece of legislation and decides whether or not it is consistent with the Constitution. In the Constitution, it kind of sets out how the state is going to work. We've got three organs of the state. We have the Oireachtas, the government, and judiciary. So the judiciary is the courts. So it'd be the Supreme Court, the High Court, and the Court of Appeal. The Oireachtas is going to be made up of Dáil Éireann and the Shannet. Now, the Constitution says that the only organ of the state that can make laws is the Oireachtas. And the executive of the government is the organ of state which has to carry out these laws. So that's what's known as the separation of powers. Three main organs of the state, they all do their own things and they all kind of watch over each other. Hence why we have constitutional judicial review, which Pierce explained earlier, which is where the judge looks at a piece of law and looks at the constitution and sees if the two match up and if the law is consistent with the constitution. But sometimes the powers rely on each other to do each other's jobs. Pierce, maybe you'd explain this. Essentially, the task of government is is so huge and, and so encompassing uh, in, in, insofar as it regulates essentially every aspect of, of what we do in our daily lives, whether that be pay taxes, um, drive on the roads, go to hospitals, go to school. So naturally, the government cannot directly manage every aspect of civil functioning society by themselves. So in order to help this, uh, in order to help them manage things efficiently, they tend to delegate to um, different organs, different institutions, 
sometimes there are issues that arise whether this extends beyond the power of the government insofar as uh, they, they extend too much decision-making authority to other institutions. So how does this have anything to do with ketamine, I hear you cry? Well, let's get back to the case at hand. The Misuse of Drugs Act 1977 is a piece of legislation which was used by the Minister for Health to make certain types of drugs illegal. Now, at the back of this piece of legislation was a list, a list of drugs that were illegal. In this 1977 act, the Minister for Health could add to this list of drugs if he wished. I guess the rationale behind that was with synthetic drugs and new drugs, lots of different drugs were coming to the market with different chemical formulations with different names so it was very effective in terms of keeping the list up to date and the minister was effectively able to make these orders where he was able to write on different names of drugs onto this list well what's the problem with this that immediately concerns me though gavin when when you hear that he he is left unchecked because essentially our the the whole concept of the separation of powers and indeed our society is based on a checks and balances system, the idea of limited government in that everyone is subject to some level of review with the ultimate review, I guess, lying at the discretion of the people of Ireland, the citizens. So to have an individual in this case where they can make additions as they see fit to this list and be unchecked is quite concerning. That's correct. Now, when the Oroctus give power to the government, which is what they're doing in this case. They're giving power to the Minister for Health to add drugs. They're giving power through this act to the Minister for Health to add the names of drugs to this list and make them illegal. They have to give the Minister a little bit of guidance so he can do his job properly and so that there's some limitations on his power. Now, it should be noted that the Oroctus still had this power to veto any particular drug that the Minister was adding to the list. So if the minister proposed to add a certain drug to the list and they thought it was inappropriate, they could effectively overrule him and reject it. It's a kind of a tokenistic kind of limitation, essentially, that says, well, look, this isn't an unfettered uh, power or authority of the minister. There is some kind of uh, limitation on it. But like you say, it seems to be more a, more of a, a theoretical procedure than something that, that is actually used in practice. And Mr. Redarev in this case said, well, he hasn't really gotten enough guidance. He could be putting anything on that list. Now, to jump in, in fairness, these checks and balances are all well and good. And I know they haven't been used. And that's because most of the stuff that's on the list or that was on the list, it's it follows a degree of common sense that, well, you know, snorting horse tranquilizer is bad for your health or injecting bath salts is probably not going to do well for you. So this power hasn't had to be used. Like... This drug, uh, methylethocathinone or mephedrone, is addictive, it is dangerous, it causes hallucinations and has caused deaths in other countries. So we haven't needed to use the power, it, just, it, has, it has always been there, yes, and we need it there. But that doesn't mean that just because it hasn't been used it's just tokenistic. Okay, that's a fair point and that was one which was brought up in the Supreme Court. But we're focusing on the judgment in the Court of Appeal and we'll tell you exactly what the judge decided a little bit later on. We haven't mentioned this yet, but the minister was given a little bit of guidance. The minister was told, if you're adding drugs to this list, they have to be dangerous, harmful and subject to misuse. Alex, do you think this gives the minister a clear idea of what he can add to the list? I'm just going to jump in there and say, well, you have to take into account that the drugs that we're talking about... A lot of them are very psychoactive. 
they are, you know, cause hallucinations, making them equivalent, you know, in health risk wise to cigarettes or alcohol is a bit ridiculous, really. Like, you know, they're not going to make you, you know, you can't overdose on nicotine or alcohol from taking it once. These kind of drugs are are incredibly dangerous. Yeah, numbers wise cause less damage than cigarettes or alcohol, but that's because not as many people use them, and probably for good reason. Do you think there's a case to say that loads, if not perhaps all substances, are subject to misuse? Take, for instance, sugar. You know, you can eat sugary foods in moderation, but if you eat too much of them, it can lead to detrimental health effects. Uh, Alex, you've got a can of an unnamed energy drink in front of you at the moment. If you have one of those cans, it will probably lift your energy. But if you drank two in a short period of time, it might rapidly accelerate your heartbeat and might be bad for your health. No, because I'm not di- like diluting it down and then shooting it intravenously. Like It's a can of Monster with a lot of caffeine in it. You can't make you know this meow meow stuff the same as that, or a bit of vitamin B twelve as in. But but if you take the meow meow or whatever it was, the bath sauce, which were previously legal, I mean it's not that much of a stretch to suggest some energy drink or, or something like that could then be considered uh, to fall under the remit of this act. My ultimate point is that I have faith in the minister that he's not going to you know Simon R&D. Harris. Let's say Simon Harris. Okay, no medical background. Right. Uh, I mean, D- Dr. Riley, at least as Minister for Health, had a medical background. And Mr. Vradker. Dr. Vradker. Mr. Vradker as well. And that didn't necessarily make them good ministers for health. But uh, we have Simon Harris for the moment as Minister of Health. I'm going, no, I'm, um, going, to, I'm going to have enough, fa- enough faith to say that. In Simon Harris. That Simon Harris, as of the recording of this podcast, isn't going to throw something on that list that is completely and utterly ridiculous. The purpose of this is to make legal things like fentanyl, which is a synthetic opiate that are responsible for numerous mm. overdoses, especially in the States. You know, nobody's going to be as stupid as to throw cigarettes or alcohol or, you know, paracetamol on this. Well, I think it's not a question of whether they do it, but whether the power extends for them to do it and whether it could be interpreted and such an act could be justified, legally speaking, that is. Obviously, I mean, in, in terms of um, common sense, it would, it, it would be ridiculous to put um, culturally accepted drugs such as alcohol and tobacco on Here's, that list. People are probably listening to this and particularly listening to what Alex is saying and saying, look, I trust the health minister. He's got loads of guidance from the Department of Health, from scientists and experts there and i trust he'll make a pretty informed decision about which drugs should be controlled or not under this act so with that in mind and considering we live in a stable democracy where generally politicians respect the power they're given and don't abuse it why should people be worried that the minister was given this extra power it is a slight snowball concern there in the slippery slope argument that if you start small with these extensions and delegations of of essentially unchecked power it's just a matter of time as to where these lead and, and how far down the line it goes into giving um, autonomy to individuals who are who are not um, directly appointed to these positions and who have a, a free free reign then in in terms of determining um, very very critical elements of of uh, the fabric of society and they are not subject to review or subject to approval of the House of the Oireachtas. Uh, I'm not sure if that's the answer you're looking for there, but uh, that would be one of my concerns on the matter. 
I understand your uh, your concerns, Pierce, that, you know, it's Fianna Fáil might be partying like it's 2007 and uh, throw anything they want in on this list. But I still would have a bit more faith in that and say that they're going to only put down drugs that are genuinely dangerous and that besides uh, maybe a select few who have, you know, bat salt enthusiasts. Uh, yes, yeah, indeed. They'd lose a few valuable votes there from the bath salt enthusiast community. Big, yes, I'd big say the, uh, historic. Know, 50 plus rural Irish constituencies yeah. uh, really do care about bath salts. So let's discuss what was actually decided in the case. Judge Hogan heard the case in the Court of Appeal. He said there was a lack of principles and policies in this section of the Misuse of Drugs Act, which was fatal to the law. He said the government have the widest latitude in deciding what to make a controlled drug, even though there was the criteria about them being dangerous, harmful and subject to misuse. He said that this raised a load of questions in itself. How is the minister to decide which drugs are dangerous and harmful? Who are they dangerous to? Are they dangerous to everybody? Are they dangerous just to certain groups in society? And what level of harm and misuse has to be established? He gave the example of pharmaceutical products, which could be misused and could have side effects for those who misused it. But for a lot of people, they were beneficial. He also suggested, as we have discussed, that tobacco and alcohol meet these criteria and could be added to the list as well. So because there was too little guidance given to the government in how to use their power... He struck down the law as unconstitutional, and that section of the Misuse of Drugs Act vanished. So too did the list of drugs, meaning that for 24 hours, while the government scrambled together a replacement piece of legislation, loads of drugs were legal in Ireland. Pierce, this judgment clearly created a headache for the government. They had to create new legislation, and it posed a threat to law and order because people were able to take the drugs on this list within the 24-hour period without facing any legal repercussions. So was Justice Hogan being pedantic at the expense of the practical effect of this? I, I think the courts lose all credibility if they start making exceptions for laws and if they start making exceptions for breaches of the Constitution. There can be no exceptions. If there is an issue with the Constitution which needs to be overcome, then a referendum can be put to the people to, to change that uh, in order to facilitate legislation in a particular area. But I don't think it is within the court's remit or within the court's powers to decide actually the, 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 the harm caused by this is so great that it must be regulated by something that is unconstitutional. If it's unconstitutional, it's unconstitutional, full stop, no exceptions. Then you put it to the government. If you want to change that, that's your prerogative. That's something that you can do. So I do think, yes, it's a principled one. Yes, it's a bit airy-fairy and um, it's hard to kind of grasp tangibly how this can how this can be the case. But I think they made I think they came to the right decision here. To be perfectly honest, I think, you know, you have to pick your battles on certain things. And uh, frankly, the legalization of bath salts and ket for 24 hours doesn't seem to me as a particularly important issue. Uh, I understand what Pierce is saying that you know you can't let the government go off on a mad one you know maybe snorting a bit of meow meow and uh throwing anything <laughs> and everything on that list thank you for that alex well the legal debate didn't stop there because the government appealed this judgment to the supreme court the highest court in the land and the supreme court chose to contradict nearly everything that the court of appeal said they said that there was uncontested expert evidence from the department of health showing the minister for health 
what he could and couldn't put on the list, and that the Oroctus had a veto if they didn't like a certain drug that was going on the list. They had the power to stop it going on the list. So we kind of went full circle. The High Court originally said, this is constitutional. The Court of Appeal said, this is unconstitutional. And then the Supreme Court, our highest court, said, wait a second, hold my magic mushrooms. This is actually constitutional. So guys, was this all a bit of a waste of time? It's never a waste of time to analyse our democracy, Gavin. And I think you know that. Uh, And I I think um, it is an important aspect of, um, again, the, the separation of powers and the process of review within our society in that that we can look inward and we can assess where we are as a country and move forward in developing and ensuring the consolidation of democracy. You sound like the worst part of an introduction to a political manifesto, Pierce. But anyway, yeah, uh, it wasn't a waste of time and I guess, you know, a nice bit of publicity outside of Ireland. I know the Supreme Court overturned it, but we still did indeed legalise Meow Meow for 24 hours. Sure. Yeah, it was a great party. Thanks Jesus, for, yeah, uh, thanks I, for the door was packed, Alex, we, I couldn't believe time. it. I'm vetoing that. <laughs> <laughs> Just before finishing this episode, we might now check in with our friend Garda Sergeant Des Herlihy, who's standing on the steps of the course. Uh, direct to you now, Pierce. Yes, uh, of course. Uh, I'm here now with Des. Um, bear in mind that I've trimmed a lot of the content as it has been expletive ridden. He has a he has a hobnob and a, a big mug of milky tea uh, with him at the moment. Um, Sergeant O'Hurley, thanks for joining us. I I I I I I must say now I I'm very disappointed with with his utter misuse of the power of the courts, and I I think it's time for a, a general review of that and and and. If, if, if I was having my way, I'd have the court scrapped entirely. The criminal court would be gone. And there's a bunch of fellas now, I won't name them, the good, sound political party, but I think they're they're going the right way with that proposal there. Uh, thank you very much, Des, for that uh, succinct and indeed insightful review of Ireland's ju- judicial system. I'm swing it back to you, Gavin. Be- better have simply said, uh, leave it out. <laughs> leave it out. <laughs> And that's all we've got time for on this episode of Legally Fond. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have a better understanding of constitutional law after listening to the podcast. As always, you can check out our blog. It's legallyfond.blogspot.com for more information on the cases we've been discussing. But if you want information on Meow Meow and other drugs that we have mentioned, unfortunately, we can't help you with that. Talk to you soon. (laughs) 